Hello, Penn Medicine. And welcome to the Well-Focused Podcast. My name is Mitch Sherman, and I am here with Dr. Thea Gallagher. Thea is an assistant professor at uh, the Perelman School of Medicine, as well as the director of the outpatient clinic at the Center of, for Treatment and Study of Anxiety, as well as the clinical director of COBOL. A lot of titles here. Thank you, Thea, for being with us. Absolutely. Glad to be here. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty great. You know, the sun's out, spring is uh, teasing us, so hopefully we'll get some more outside time, which is good for all of us, right? I know. It looks super warm out, and I went outside, and it's like light jacket weather, and I was not yeah. prepared for that when I went for my lunchtime walk, but I know it's definitely teasing us. Yeah, definitely colder than it looks, but still nice for sure. But you know what? It's great getting outside. Um, I know it has a lot of great effects on us, and it kind of is a great tie-in to why I wanted to have you on this podcast. So sure. you have been everywhere from a Penn Medicine perspective. I've seen you on Lunch with Leaders. I've seen your name mentioned in emails very regularly. And you were on the news last week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, doing doing the most out here during uh, COVID times. But, you know, I think it's really more of a, an indication of, you know, the fact that people are giving more uh, attention to mental health, you know, especially anxiety and wellness and living with uncertainty. And so, you know, I kind of feel like I'm, I'm getting the back call every day to meet the needs. And so it's exciting to be everywhere for for this purpose, because, again, you know, I think the pandemic's been just, we know it's been so difficult for people in their mental health. And I'm glad that we've really been shining a light on that in both like professional and personal um, spaces. I I love it as well, especially because I feel in the last year, I'd say the last couple years, but obviously exponentially more in the last year, there's been such a more acceptance of addressing mental health. Even from when I was younger in high school, mental health was something for quote unquote, crazy people. Whenever I'd hear that, I'd always cringe. And it's just like, well, hey, you know, I have had experiences with mental health. And now it's something that's just everywhere. And it's so great because so many people need this help. Right. And it's, it's really nice to be a part of um, like kind of history in the fact of, you know, stigma breaking around mental health. I think many of us in the mental health spheres have been screaming from the rooftops for a long time that there's, you know, there's really our physical health and our mental health should be considered, you know, both things that we take care of. Um, and again, no one disparages you if you take care of your physical health, but there has been all the stigma around mental health. So again, it's it's really nice that um, it's starting to just become more normalized. And, and, you know, it's something that all of us need to attend to in various degrees and strengths and, and ways. So um, seeing that it's really a universal, a universal thing. It is universal and it is a very individual thing for everybody. And, and one thing that, that has tied into something in the last year is regarding the word resilient. I know you've done a lot with resilience over the last year. Um, I know I've scheduled countless group sessions for you to meet with people. Um, what does resilience mean to you? Yeah, I like how you asked that because, you know, it's one of those things that there's a lot of definitions around it. and. You know, there's some more clinical and formal and measurable definitions. But, you know, I think when you kind of collate all that information, what we're really trying to look at is how do people manage in tough times? Like, how do we manage failure? How do we manage when things are difficult? Um, you know, you don't really need resilience when things are going great. You're just getting to live your life. And, you know, but resilience is about kind of getting back on the horse, taking one step forward when when it feels like you it's the last thing you can do. 
And so I think resilience is really about, you know, managing challenges and failures in a way that says, you know, I can grow from this, I can learn from this, I can keep putting one foot in front of the other, I can take one more breath. But I think it's really about continuing to show up when things are really difficult. Yeah, I think that's a great answer. And I think what's cool about it is it is sort of in a way an umbrella statement so that when you have your individual specifics for your situation, what's causing you to have a challenging time, that could mean something very different for you and me sitting here on a Zoom call versus a nurse in a COVID unit over the last year and what their challenges are. So how are we necessarily able to say, no, this is resilience when it could mean something very different to them? Yeah, and I think it's about like, I think the content is different. And yet I think we can go back to the source that like the process is the same. And I think we can all relate to it. You know, um, my car got hit the other week when it was parked and I came out on my Saturday morning and I was like, oh my gosh, this is like the last thing I want to be dealing with right now. I have so much going on. And it was easy in that moment to like just spiral and kind of do poor me and catastrophize and like, you know, I just, I can't deal with this right now. I'm not going to deal with this. Like, pity party for myself and you know you feel that and you have that for a moment and then it's about like all right well this car is not going to fix itself so let me start taking the steps i need to take to you know call the insurance company call get the police report do all these things and in every moment i'm like oh well i wouldn't have had to deal with this if this thing didn't happen to me but it did happen and there's nothing i can do to to change the past so now all i can do is take one step every day or one step to keep you know what do i need to do to fix this what do i need to to get to this and then also kind of saying like yeah, actually, you know what? In my mind, when I saw that, I was like, I can't handle one more thing on my plate. And guess what? I actually can. I think you also get to show yourself that you that you can, you're, you're more capable than you think you are. And sometimes you have to, you know, you have to reach out to people for help and for rides or for whatever you need in those moments. I think there's a lot of things that being resilient can show us, but we can all relate to, you know, we have those days, we have those moments, we have those situations where we feel like, you know what? I just can't deal with this right now. And to kind of say like, well, but I kind of have to, and what are the steps I need to take to, to deal with this and, and to see it as something in my life that, that I can manage on, you know, when I take small steps to attend to it. It's funny that you say what steps to take, because that was the first thing that came to my mind is thinking to be able to recognize that there are steps and the first step can just be accepting that something stinks. Your mm -hmm. car breaks down. Yeah, this sucks. Um, mm -hmm. I feel over the last year and the well-focused team has done some presentations on toxic positivity and saying like, oh, this doesn't suck. People are going through many worse situations than a car breaking down. But in that very moment, it does suck for you. And it's okay to admit that it sucks as long as you're able to be like, like you said, what can I do now? What can you do? Yeah. And I think it's very- toxic positivity thing, because like you said, you have to acknowledge the suck. Sometimes you have to say like, this is awful. Or like, you know, I haven't seen my family for a year or like I'm seeing people die at work. And, or I am like, put my trying to get my kids through zoom school and this is awful and hard. You know, I think it's so important to acknowledge that. And, you know, I think when people don't acknowledge it, I call it kind of like the suffering Olympics. Like I'll have patients or people say like, well, I could have it so much worse. Like I, I could be in a situation where I wouldn't even have a job or, you know, I could have, you know, I could be sick with COVID. And so, you know, this comparison in some ways we think it's going to help us kind of put a positive perspective on it, but what it ends up doing 
happening, like you're saying, is it minimizes and diminishes the stressor that you're that you have right in front of you. And so you have to acknowledge that first. And you have to, like you said, the first step really is acknowledging it and like and like having that emotional experience that's like, ugh, this is this is tiring and this is frustrating and I'm frustrated. Um, and then you can move forward from there. For sure. And being able to say, hey, other people have different situations, which may also not be great. It's great to have empathy and it's great to be able to put yourself in other people's positions, but there has to be a line from when you do so at the extent of your own struggle. Absolutely. And, and I think, yeah. And like you said, like, I think acknowledging it can be both. And we can say both like, wow, some people have it worse than I do. And, and if I can help volunteer in those communities or those places or be there for people that might need me who are going through maybe a measurably more tough time than me, that's great. But it also doesn't mean that doesn't mean like because if someone's struggles are more than mine, mine disappear. That's not mm -hmm. how that works. We can both have our varying struggles and we have to kind of, you know, we, we only have the struggles that we live with in the context and the world that we live in. And so we have to attend to the things that are, you know, in our here and now as well. For sure. And, you know, as Dr. Thea Gallagher, what do you, what are your steps often that you take when you are faced with adversity and you have to be resilient? Yeah, I think everybody, you know, can relate to that in this past year. I think it's really leveled the playing field. I don't think one person um, has, has, you know, been, been unimpacted or, or I don't think people have been, there's people who haven't been impacted by the pandemic. So I think just like, I, I might not be able to relate to somebody who's had knee surgery, I can relate to, you know, challenge and adversity in this year. And so I think it's a lot about what I was even alluding to a few minutes ago. It's about acknowledging it, like venting about it, calling my friends and being like, oh, you won't believe what happened, you know, kind of getting it out there. And then, you know, going back to the drawing board of like, what are the steps that I need to take? To, to kind of to handle the situation. And if it's not an acute problem, right? If it's like the pandemic, you know, you can't like go make a 10 step plan to get through, or you can't call up the manager of the pandemic and, you know, put in your complaint. I think what's been strange about this last year is that there's been so un, so much unknown and so much uncertainty. And even now we keep being like, when life goes back to normal, but it's still like, we don't have a roadmap for when this is happening. You know, people are like, still wearing masks everywhere. We're still, ha we have still a lot of restrictions in our lives. And so I think what it really is about for us um, in these, you know, very intense times of adversity is about being as present as we possibly can, you know, enjoying the sunshine this morning, enjoying your morning cup of coffee, enjoying, um, you know, a laugh with your toddler. You know, you might not have to be enjoying it at like level, like level 10 out of, you know, zero to 10, but it's about like, kind of being present and being engaged in that moment. And I think there's, there's something about this pandemic that's made the present so important because the, the future is so uncertain. And so I think, you know, if it's, if it's an acute problem, I would say, you know, I try to break it down into bite-sized manageable pieces. And if it's one that's like kind of long-term and I don't see the end and there's nothing I can do about it, I kind of try to say like, all right, I bring myself back to, what can I control and what can't I control? And if I can't control it, then I have to kind of let it go because if there's nothing to do, then that's just worry. And that's how you can identify if you're worrying. If it's a situation that you can't really do anything about in this moment and you're still worrying about it, that's just kind of what we call thought garbage. And at that point, you know, again, if there's something you can do about something, do that thing or make a plan to do that thing. But if there's something that you can't do about it, it's about that radical acceptance that that's, a, that's a, maybe like a sucky situation. And then B, how do I bring myself back to the present and the things that I can enjoy and that I can engage with? 
Yeah. And even if it, like you said before, if it's not something you're enjoying at a 10 out of 10 level, just being able to experience what you're doing in that moment, whether you're just watching a show on the couch and just being like, hey, I'm enjoying this time right now. Or, eh, I didn't like the show that much. Like, I had the time to watch it or just relax. Um, and, you know, and when you discuss anticipation of when things go back to normal, you know, like you said, there it isn't something we can control. And what will normal mean? You know, the term the new normal has been thrown around since day one. But what does normal mean to you might be that might be something different than what normal means to me or some of the listeners here. Yeah, and I think the expectations for all of us is going to they're going to be different, right? Some of us are going to stay in probably a pretty heavy work from home mode. Some of us are going to go back to like more of a hybrid model. Some of us are going to go back to a full work on site. Um, th and there's going to be different challenges to all of those things. And so, like you said, understanding the challenges that are ahead of you or, or understanding the challenges you're experiencing right now and maybe not to get too far ahead of yourself because there's a lot of things that aren't happening immediately. And so, like, you want to watch out for that, like, anticipatory anxiety. That, that can creep up and have you start to worry about things that you might not know yet. Um, and so again, bringing yourself back to the present as well. For sure. And when, you know, we talk about being or anticipating things in the future and people are gonna be in very different scenarios. Um, one thing that I do, what I am excited about is some of the new possibilities that we'll have. You've probably met with, a, I mean, I know you have met with a number of different people virtually. People have gotten help on Cobalt virtually. People are going to be able to get more help in a more convenient place. Where do you see this going in the future for people to access mental health resources? Yeah, I mean, I think for mental health, it has been, it, it's kind of been just a, a wild leap jump. Um, you know, I think we, we took a leap of, you know, 10 years of innovation in, in this one year because, you know, so much has been, you know, even with insurance companies or reimbursement or access to care, it's been so limited. And the truth is, is that now we have more people interested in mental health and now we have more resources and more availability. Um, and I think that makes it really exciting. And it's one of the things that's translated very well to the virtual platform, the, the early data showing this to be true. I mean, people used to have to schedule at minimum two hours into their day, right? By the time you commute somewhere, go to your appointment, pay, leave, get in your car, commute back home, like that, that's a significant portion of your day. And also like a lot of, you know, doctors and therapists have like hours that might, you might not always be able to meet. Um, I know even I've always, I've talked to nurses who are like, hey, we have variable schedules. It's hard to have like a standing meeting. I think with all the flexibility of scheduling, the flexibility of, of location, and also, you know, all those resilience groups that I've been able to run, you know, I get to like fit them in my schedule, like between patients or between meetings. I don't have to like walk across campus um, to like, you know, that would be again, probably another two hours out of my day if I had to, you know, schedule in like the walk and the meeting and then maybe a small talk afterward and coming back. So I think there's a lot of amazing things that we've seen, especially, you know, with the innovation team and what they've been able to do with Cobalt, but really providing mental health resources that are not robotic, but are virtual, you know, that they have real people involved in them, but using these platforms um, to, to meet people where they're at mental health wise is really great. Yeah, and in, in contrast to the, the previous guest that we had on this podcast, um, he is a physician assistant at CHOP who helped launch their telehealth program. And some of the bumps that physicians might run into is, you know, palpating, taking vitals, things like that. 
not necessarily going to have to run into those issues with somebody coming to seek therapy virtually. Yeah, no, I mean, and I think like, that's the thing, even, you know, with the exposure therapy and the work that I do, like, you know, when people can take me with them on their phone and we can go do the things and we can cut out like a lot of the, like the planning and scheduling that we had there, it, it's really made things great. And like you said, there's, there's not that physical exam piece. And so again, I think we're just able to do a lot more and to fit a lot more in. And I think alternatively, I will say, I think for many of us who are in the mental health space, We've also had to, you know, kind of set our own boundaries and really practice like good boundary setting or self-care because the need is very high, you know, the demand is very high and you can find yourself working from, you know, like seven to eight at night. If you start like moving the bookends of your day or I don't have a commute anymore, I can just get up and do that thing. Um, and so I think that's been really great. And, and some of the flexibility of that is important. And I think um, having flexibility with boundaries um, is is going to be a really important thing. But I will just make that shout out. There's been a lot of therapists who have just been, you know, burning the candle at both ends this last year. And so and the good news is, is, is like, you know, hopefully getting more access, getting more people, getting more um, kind of levels of care that we're trying to build out on Cobalt even. Like you might not need a full, you know, round with a psychotherapist. A resilience coach might help or a skills group might help or a support group might help. Um, kind of trying to find a way to meet people where they're at and make sure that the access is there without burning out all of our um, therapists and psychiatrists. <laughs> yes, because as much as I'm sure you know, they need help just like everybody else needs help. And sort of tying it back in to, you know, we said before um, regarding the stigma of mental health, hopefully as a result of this boom in this sort of change in stigma, more people are going to go out and seek help, especially with the ease of, of access now. Even on just sort of a lighter note, when I scroll Instagram, I see so many memes about anxiety or depression. And part of me is like, should people be making fun of this? But then it's also people normalizing seeing these terms and accepting it. So it is, it, I do hope that it continues to grow that way. Yeah, and kind of saying like, you know, we're all in this together. And I think for many of us too, like if you have a nine to five schedule, then like finding a time to fit in your therapist was really difficult. But now when you can do it on like your lunch break or before work or right after, and you don't have to, again, factor in that commute, it can be really great. And also there's, a, there's definitely like some shame still that we're breaking with the stigma. So like not having to go to a waiting room and not having to do that whole process, you know, especially people who work at Penn Medicine, sometimes then it's like, oh, wow, I could see a colleague, I could see someone. And unfortunately, that is the stigma that we're going to, we are breaking, and that's hopefully going to continue to break. But I think it also is nice to get your foot in the door now, knowing you don't have those other kind of barriers. So again, I think access and availability and flexibility is really um, something that's that's great to see now in, in, in the mental health sphere. Definitely. Now, when I um, wrap up these podcasts, what I try to do is ask a fun question, maybe cool. or maybe not pertaining to the topic. So uh, I know we alluded to it earlier, but you are now a new local celebrity in the Philadelphia area after your <laughs> appearance on NBC. So my question for you is, aside from NBC, if you could mm -hmm. be on one other TV show, what would it be and why? Oh, that's a great question. NBC News. Ah, I feel like I know this off like the top of my head, but it's like evading me. You know, I guess it would probably be CNN, right? Okay. <laughs> um, having an opportunity, you know, to to bring mental health to the to the news and, and again, legitimizing like this is a real part of, you know, it would have been great if like during the 
you know, election cycle when we were waiting, you know, if they had had like even a mental health person on there at some point and be like, if you're struggling, like, and you can't turn off the news right now, here's what you can do. Or, you know, here are some, here are some things you might be feeling. Um, so I, I think, you know, I'm all about integrating mental health into all the spheres. And I think that would be one, um, you know, to, to really, I'd love to, to get involved with, but, you know, you can dream big, but it's exciting. You know, it's, it's really like, I feel very, honored and, and, you know, blessed, I guess, to or, you know, lucky that I get to be speaking to these news sources about things that really mean a lot to, you know, me and to other people and to our patients and to science. And it's it's really great that I think, you know, mental health is getting a glow up and it's um, just more more attention toward it and more attention to um, to therapy, because like you said, you can see on Instagram, there's a lot of stuff about, you know, jokes about anxiety and depression, which are great. You know, they're, it's normalizing. It's connecting us all to each other. But then I want to be on the second wave that's like and also there's a lot of great tools that, that therapists can give you to manage this and you can live a better life with less suffering. Yeah, it's almost like if you you see any post anywhere about coronavirus and it has like the little hyperlink for more information about coronavirus, click the CDC. If you could right. have something similar for, for mental health, yeah, that would be awesome. And that would be that next level. Great idea. Let's execute it. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. CNN, obviously a very great answer. And, and we talked about resilience during the pandemic and the new normal. And I mean, obviously the last year, there's way, way more that people you know, needed to practice resilience for or might have needed mental health outlets regarding social injustice, regarding the election, January 6th, whatever. Because of those reasons, we are lucky to have you. We're lucky to have more people like you. Um, and we thank you very much for, for your time. This has been awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Mitch.